0: Um, okay. So for our listeners, if you don't know, I work at a car dealership. I'm not going to name names because I don't want creeps and also to protect the company. So (laughs) a couple of weeks ago, we had this guy come in to test drive a used BMW Mm. that we had, you know, bought from a customer right off the street. And, you know, it was kind of a pricey one. Yeah. Because BMWs, they're not cheap. And, um... So, our salesperson got a copy of the guy's driver's license, thankfully, uh, but didn't have him fill out any of the other paperwork that's generally necessary Mm. to test drive a vehicle. Vehicle.
1: (laughs) 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 Vehicle. A vehicle, if you will.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, So, apparently, this guy went on the test drive, came back, said, eh, I'm not really interested anymore, but thank you. Gave the sales guy the key back and left. So, I I don't know. I guess our sales guy had to get up and use the restroom because, you know, bodily functions. You can't exactly ignore those very well. But instead of putting the keys in a locked drawer or giving them to a manager, he left them on his desk. Oh, my God. And when he came back, they were gone. Vector had a very appropriate reaction to that. Oh, my God. So, Q, about three hours later, uh, my boss gets a phone call from the police in a county about two hours away. I don't remember what county it is, but it's about two hours away, asking if we had a vehicle out on test drive. And her response was, was um, well, we are a car dealership, so maybe, but two hours away is a little
1: yeah. you know,
0: iffy, so we'll check it out and I'll call you back. <laughs> so, you know, they gave us the VIN number and... We were able to m- more easily find out what car was taken, and <laughs> so she called our used car manager, and he was like, "Oh yeah, that car went out on a test drive this morning. We've been trying to get a hold of the guy for hours." So we called the police back and tell them that this guy has officially stolen the vehicle because <laughs> t- two hours away, you've been gone for yeah. a couple of hours. You're not coming back. Mm-mm. And so, okay, this is the this is the part that got me and Alex and my boss. It just, we are just utterly stunned by it. So the reason that the police were questioning this was not because he was speeding or anything. No, he went into a Dollar General and asked the clerk what the police presence was out there.
1: What?
0: Like, really? You're going to steal a car and
1: then go and ask what the police presence is somewhere? <laughs> hey, a uh, person who worked at the store, are there police who pass by fairly often? <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, then me, me and Alex, of course, are like super curious about this guy because obviously I have a podcast and she listens to podcasts similar to us and, mm-hmm. and our podcast. So she did a little Google search and found out that he is on parole for assault of an officer as well as a <gasps> bunch of other shit. Oh, so at this point, we'll, we we uh, look at each other like this car is gone. We're not getting it back. Um, This is not good. Call the lawyers, and and it was it was for a solid week. The car was gone. We knew nothing about it. We didn't hear anything about it. Other like than, the you know, police though, never
1: called you all back.
0: Not for a week.
1: Okay. Not
0: for a whole week. We knew nothing. Uh, then come you know this past Monday, we we still didn't hear from the police at this point. But this past Monday, a salesperson comes in saying that there was a shootout in his neighborhood over the weekend. Oh. And he was at work because, you know, you're a salesperson. You work seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And his wife called him terrified because she all she heard was tons of gunshots and tires squealing. Terrifying. She's okay, thankfully. Okay, uh, they good. didn't catch whoever was shooting. But anyway, a few hours later, we get a call from a guy who used to work at our dealership, who's now working at another dealership. And he was like, hey, did you all have a BMW stolen? Oh. Uh. <laughs> And being close with him, we were like, yeah. He said, cool, it's over here on my lot. This guy just upgraded to an Audi.
1: (gasps) (laughs) They let him go with that car? The police let him go with that car. The police didn't
0: know. The police did not know. But the police called, and she- No, uh, the police called us. They said, okay, well, we're going to trail after him. We're going to see if we can get him. They didn't. We didn't hear from them for a week. Mm -hmm. Q shooting in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. and getting a call from the guy who used to work with us. He upgraded? He upgraded to an Audi so i mean he did the exact same thing to this dealership and was like yeah i want to test drive this car here but i have a car i want to trade in outside you don't want to look at it or anything but it's it's fine i just i want to test drive this car and then he was gone before they looked at the car that he was trading in um so anyway the police of course would not let us come and get the car because they wanted to run some tests on it When we were finally able to, you know, actually get a hold of the car and, like, look at it, look it over to make sure there's nothing wrong with it, there were gunshots. (gasps) And at first, it only looked like there was one gunshot in the door, so, like, easily fixable. But then they got it up on the rack. Oh, no. And the undercarriage was, you know, just riddled with bullet holes in part, like, One of the parts on the undercarriage was replaced with a cheaper part and they rolled the window up and the window had a gunshot in it. I mean those are some strong windows. Some strong windows, yeah. I mean he did a number on it and we can't even sell it anymore.
1: That's it's bad. Wow. It's
0: bad. Thankfully. He has not been caught. Wow! But this took up a solid like two weeks of our interest at work. But because we could not believe the fact that this guy was dumb enough to make a comment to the Dollar General clerk about the police presence just after stealing a car. For real. But you know, real? somehow he's smart
1: enough to do it twice. I also can't believe your co-worker literally left that the key to that car on his desk.
0: <laughs> he, he did get reprimanded for it. Um, he was sent home for the day. So, yeah, that's what happened with us. Wow. <laughs> hello i hello. am rachel and i am grace welcome back
1: welcome welcome
0: you know who we are are are, are, are but, but are,
1: are. why we are how we are uh when we are time is a construct
0: what we are
1: podcast oh are we that one's pretty pretty that easy. one is
0: pretty easy yes yes yeah. yes 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 okay um so this week yes where are we we are in utica indiana ha ha
1: no oh, it's utica that's what utica. i thought. I was like see it's either, it's either utica or utica
0: i've only ever heard it pronounced utica so
1: i assume that's i'm what with utica
0: so my sources are utica indiana.org wikipedia.org and uticapreservation.com so first of all this is a very small town So, like, in 2000, there were only 591 people recorded living within the city. Wow, no wonder I couldn't find very many stories. Yeah, like, really small. So, Utica was first settled in 1795 by Judge James Noble Wood and his wife, Margaret Smith Wood. The town was laid out by Judge John Miller, Judge Wood, as noted above, and Samuel Blight, doctor, doctor, samuel blight in 1816. so tell me if this pisses you off as much as it does me the men were contracted $2,500 to build 100 cabins costing $25 each uh
1: i feel like that is not enough
0: and each lot was about 100 feet by 100 feet these houses only cost $25 to build oh it wasn't until 1819 when four other families moved into the town during this time due to close proximity to kentucky Judge Wood and his wife operated a ferry boat which dropped passengers at the mouth of Harrods Creek, Kentucky. Hmm. After a massive flood in 1997, Utica was required to strengthen its building, planning, and zoning laws in order to obtain FEMA and Indiana DNR rebuilding funds. So this also forced Utica to grow. And, um, that's it. Super small city. Not a lot has happened, except for my story, which is... A murder and the paranormal. (laughs) (laughs) So then, what is your story?
1: Oh, yeah. I guess it is me. My story is the murder of Tammy Jo Blanton. It's not in Utica. It's actually in Jeffersonville, but it's still in Clark County. Pretty close. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I do, right up at the top, I want to say my story contains multiple, multiple mentions of sexual assault that can be triggering for some listeners. So if that pertains to you, I advise you fast forward about 20 to 30 minutes to Rachel's story.
0: On that note, my story also contains um, (laughs) a (laughs) a brief mention of sexual assault. So uh, that may be triggering to some listeners. If that pertains to you, please just fast forward to the very end of the episode from here. Or
1: just stop here it's up yes. to you mine has <laughs> multiple dimensions. um rachel's might just be in one part um, it is yeah but it's a like a, a, a yeah so yeah uh my sources are courierjournal.com whas11.com wlky.com wave 3com articles um, yahoo.com two wdrb articles three oxygen.com articles and wthr.com
0: wow even an oxygen.com article
1: three yeah but a lot of those sources were Serious. fairly read uh like repetitive so this isn't mm-hmm. like super long okay on september 11th 2014 at 2 50 a.m 46 year old tammy joe blanton called the police department to report that her ex-boyfriend joseph oberhansley was trying to break into her home on locust street in jeffersonville by kicking down her back door blanton told the officer that she had changed the locks and wanted her ex-boyfriend to leave the property so the officers waited and watched him leave before leaving themselves. Co-workers were concerned the next morning when Blanton didn't show up for work at Zermed, which is a Louisville healthcare tech company. Mm-hmm. A friend called the police when she called Blanton's phone, and a man answered the phone and not Blanton herself. She texted one of her friends the day before, saying, ''I'm taking my life back. I work too hard to get here. No one will take me down.'' She also told friends that her locks had been changed like she told the police, and that night, she said that she had checked her windows and put a chair under the door. Oh, goodness, she, she was really
0: scared. Yeah,
1: and she I think she expected him to come back. Yeah. So, this is the confusing bit. Most sources said that when the police arrived to issue a welfare check, they found Hinsley outside her home on the porch looking nervous. But a few other sources said that he actually answered the door of her home. Like, he actually was in the house. He, he answered? What? Well, and she Wait, she was outside? No. Okay, let me start over. Okay. Most sources said that when the police arrived to issue a welfare check, they found Oberhansley outside um, Blanton's home on the porch looking nervous. Uh, a few other sources said that he answered the door of her home and said he hadn't seen her. Then he kept talking about his car and taking it to his job, which was a New Albany car dealership. So he refused to pat down and was arrested on the property. Officers also like found, when they patted him down, a bloody brass knuckle knife in no. his pocket. And they noticed a cut on his knuckles. And during all of this, another officer went inside Blanton's home to complete the welfare check, and the back door was damaged as if someone forced their way in and there was blood throughout the house, along with a tarp and tools on the ground. Upon further inspection, Tammy Joe Blanton's body was found in the bathtub, and when detectives questioned Oberhansley about what they found at Blanton's home, he said, two men must have broken into the house and killed her oh my god and denied having contact with her that day after being questioned for three hours he finally admitted having killed her that is not all though he also admitted to cooking and consuming parts of her heart saying that it is part of him now Yes, and to further prove this, Blanton's blood was found on a frying pan, a pair of tongs, a plate with what appeared to be skull and bones on it, and utensils. Also, a friend of Blanton's told police that she had confided in them that she had been raped by Oberhansley the weekend before her death and went along with it to keep the peace that she was trying to get away from him but didn't want to tip him off that she was leaving so she felt that's yeah like she had to Oberhansley was charged with burglary rape uh, murder and abuse of a corpse The trial was initially scheduled for 2016, but was pushed back a year to give Oberhansley's defense more time to prepare. However, he was actually ruled incompetent to stand trial in October of 2017 and underwent treatment through the Indiana Division of Mental Health and Addiction before finally being ruled fit for trial in November of 2018. Oberhansley rejected his defense team's insanity case, and a trial began in August of 2019, However, uh, mistrial was called not very long after, after a friend of Blanton's took the stand and told juror that Blanton hadn't called the police after a violent incident between the couple because she didn't want him to go back to prison and believed he was reformed. And it was determined that hearing about his previous criminal history and drug use would cause prejudice, which yes, it absolutely would have because wow. Mm -hmm. Is it a lot? Um, he, before moving to Jeffersonville in July of 2012, Oberhansley had previously served 12 years at Utah prison after murdering his girlfriend and shooting his own mother Uh, uh, mm. before shooting himself at age 18 while high on meth. He obviously survived, though the bullet did remain lodged in his brain, so, and then he was convicted of manslaughter. So, that definitely would have caused a bias. Um,
0: I understand everyone needs, like, a chance to redeem themselves. But he murdered his girlfriend and shot his mother and himself.
1: Yes, and by law, he did do his time. So, the judge thought, like, that was the past. We're not going to admit that into evidence. We're just going to leave it out the next trial. So, after the mistrial it took over a year to get the case back in court as he returned to a mental health facility to be ruled competent again and then covid 19 hit the trial commenced on september 11th of 2020 exactly six years after the murder of tammy joe blanton the trial was held in jeffersonville uh with jurors who were actually from allen county because of mm-hmm. the publicity the case received in the area was, wow, like, everybody <laughs> yeah. knew about it. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting that I had never heard about this, because, like, it's That's literally right, right across, across the, bridge. the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, because of COVID-19, the public wasn't allowed inside the courtroom during the trial, obviously, but there was a live stream available. Um, however, recording it was prohibited, so there's, like, nothing now, uh, like, that you can go look up or anything like that. Over a dozen people testified, including Blanton's friends, co workers, forensic experts, and the police officers who were there the day that Blanton's body was found. And Ober Hansley was the only witness for the defense. Oh my god. Yeah. The scene of the murder was described as being covered in blood, far worse than anything literally described as being far worse than anything you would see in a horror movie like oh there was gosh. that much blood everywhere and like I said before like her body was found in the tub it had been mutilated with most of her brain and heart having been removed and part oh. of a lung oh my god yeah uh, which he also ate parts of. Uh, yeah The jury also heard that Blayton had blunt force injuries all over her body. She died of sharp force injuries to the face, neck, and torso, and had defensive wounds to her hands, suggesting she might have- Tried to fight off her attacker. Yeah. Prosecutors said that Blanton also was raped the morning before she died, but defense attorney Brent Westerfield questioned that, asking if during cross examination whether there was any evidence of sexual assault. Dr. Arabadjif, a forensic pathologist with the Kentucky Chief Medical Examiner's Office, said that no evidence of. Physical trauma had been discovered, but signs of physical trauma aren't always found in sexual assault cases. However, forensic scientist and analyst at the Indiana State Police Laboratory, Nicole Hoffman, testified that seminal fluid was found during an examination of the body, and then at least one of the samples matched Oberhansley's DNA. Mm. She, yeah. So it was very obvious that the two, that something had happened between the two. But whether or not it was consensual, it was up to the jury to decide. Yeah. Basically. So Hoffman also took the stand to discuss evidence collected at the scene that had both Blanton and Oberhansley's DNA, including a knife, frying pan, jigsaw, kitchen tongs, dinner plate, those eating utensils, a shirt found on the bathroom floor, suggesting that he was the one who ate parts of her organs. So while Oberhansley admitted to Blanton's murder and dismemberment and cannibalizing her in his interview with police, his tune had changed pretty much immediately after that. So during most of those six years, his story was the complete opposite. He said he went to go to Blanton's to get his things when he stumbled upon two black men in the home that night and they knocked him out. Yeah, it's so... And that they knocked him out right after he saw one of them uh, had a had a gun, and he saw the other one stab Blanton. He also said when he woke up, he grabbed a knife because he wasn't sure if they were still there, which like I feel is such a typical thing for like white people who are being accused of a crime to, who have most likely done the crime to blame it on fictional of color person of color, yeah so often. So, like, on top of all of this, that's awful. And he- when he was questioned why these two men would stab Blanton literally 25 times that they could tell, but then just knock him out, he's- I don't know. He's just like, oh, I don't know. Weird. It- He couldn't have come up with something better than that? Um. Even- I just- a lot. And then he also said he didn't know who had consumed some of Blanton's organs after her death, even though the DNA evidence definitely pointed to him. him. Yeah. He said he only ever had admitted to her murder because he started going along with what the officers were saying because he was confused as he was hit in the head by the two men and basically saying he had a concussion so he didn't really know what was going on. The judge also had to clear the courtroom at one point because he interrupted testimony from witnesses. And of course he
0: did. Yeah. Of course which he did.
1: Which is not the last time you'll hear me say that. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yay. During closing statements, Oberhansley's attorney said that his client's story was reasonable. And, which, no, it isn't. That, it makes zero sense. But anyway, and that the prosecutor hadn't presented evidence that proved Oberhansley had committed the crime. Mm-hmm. Prosecutor Jeremy Mull told the jury that Oberhansley needed to be in control. And when she... S- ed he's not anymore he murdered her he said quote she suffered so many indignities that night she was terrified she was stabbed she was dismembered she was eaten and she was raped and the justice for each of those acts of indignities is important if it is proven it's what justice demands yeah so this next part is from the original trial but back then mull told the jury how blanton had locked herself in the bathroom to hide from oberhansley before he kicked down the door to kill her oberhansley allegedly said that blanton seemed calm in his interview talking about this and mull said in her last moment she wasn't going to give him the pleasure of seeing her scared september 18th 2020 the jury found joseph oberhansley guilty of murder and burglary in the death of tammy joe blanton but they did find him not guilty of rape I didn't find an explanation for this, but I'm assuming that even though there was evidence of Oberhansley's semen, there were no signs of physical sexual trauma found, so the jury probably decided that it was possible that the two might have had consensual sex, which is honestly really frustrating, because she obviously did not want him around, and so many of her friends and co-workers testified that.
0: it's. It's also very frustrating, because if you know the female anatomy unfortunately when it comes to that even if it is sexual um abuse in some way the female anatomy will try its best to protect
1: yes and absolutely and one thing that a lot of the time you do not hear and it is really awful to hear is that sometimes um some women do actually orgasm during rape and even though there's no sign of sexual assault like it is still a thing that happened yeah yeah which makes me mad. Especially
0: if they didn't want it. Exactly.
1: Day. And it is just more about, ugh, I'll go into it later. He received six years for burglary and life in prison without parole for murder. During the sentencing hearing, Blanton's mother, Linda Harbin, and her sister-in-law, Charlene Harbin, addressed Oberhansley directly. They told him he was lucky to be alive and that he deserves to spend every day in prison thinking about what he did. Blanton's mother expressed her anger and pain, and would you believe this complete asshole had the audacity to interrupt her during this? Oh my God. And he just kept ins- insisting that he was innocent. and she looked him in the eye and told him, "You know you did this." Both her and her sister-in-law told him that he deserves to rot in hell. Because he does. Oberhansley's Hansley's attorney, Bart Beto, said he doesn't believe justice was served. He argued the case should have been treated as a mental health matter and not a criminal case, that he should have been better evaluated. And if he needed to be in a mental health facility, especially seeing as at one point he did call himself Zeus during a hearing. Yeah, he he one point expressed that he wanted to be executed. Uh, he had previously... Like I said, he had previously been declared unable to testify and the fact that he literally ate part of her organs, which a lot of people would suggest couldn't be done by someone who was in their right mind. Yeah, These kinds of cases are hard for me to talk about and form unbiased opinions because like there are a lot of factors involved from my own personal biases and the fact that I feel like the American justice system isn't set up to really rehabilitate or truly pre- prevent and that extends no. to like the American health system, especially when it comes to mental health. And, Mm -hmm. like, and how to handle that intersectionality. And then there's rape culture and what is and isn't deemed rape in the eyes of our culture and court of law. And I can't really eloquently talk about any of these subjects or about anything, really. Words just don't come to (laughs) me easily. (laughs) But anyway. um, What what words? Just But, yeah, he did get life in prison for this. And I'm not here to judge whether or not he should or should not have been, like, in a mental facility or anything like that. I, I just
0: feel like the case should have been handled a little differently, perhaps?
1: I don't know, and I can't change the outcome of it, but I feel like given the evidence and given the extensive testimony from her friends and co-workers that, especially with her telling one of her co-workers that she had been raped the weekend before her death by Oberhansley, that it mm-hmm. is extremely unlikely that that could have happened, and I don't know, because I wasn't there, obviously, but it's just a very frustrating case. But he did get life in prison without parole. Um, Oh, good. But, yeah, uh, that was the murder of Tammy Jo Blanton. Thanks, I hated it. Thank you. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) You also hated it, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh. I just... That poor woman.
1: Yeah, and it's like... I have a lot of really, like, conflicting feelings on things because I feel like if people were taught about mental health correctly and, like, it was set up better in the American health system, then he could have, like, gotten the help, gotten he, the needed. help he needed before any of the other stuff happened. And he could have legitimately have been rehabilitated after what he did originally that he served 12 years for because, like what are you doing serving all this time if you're not being rehabilitated right and it's just the system no, is broken uh, <laughs> it's yeah, just broken yeah.
0: the system has always been broken though that's not something literally that, yeah
1: it's not broken it's it works exactly the way that it's supposed to yeah. and i don't like it
0: yeah okay onto a anyway, anyway onto on sl- a different story different topic slightly not much um this is a depressing episode yay oh it doesn't get any better My story is the witch's castle of Utica, Indiana, since, of course, we're in Utica and we're not going to, like, Maine or something. I've already read my warning, so please be forewarned. You know, there is a brief mention of sexual assault. If this is triggering to some listeners, please fast forward to the end of the episode, and we appreciate you listening this far. So my sources are newsandtribune.com history101.com, themadisonian.net, theaccidentalspook.blogspot.com, that was my main source, reddit.com, and allthatsinteresting.com. Ah. What was that face for?
1: <laughs> I was drinking water and it made a weird noise because I turned the water bottle <laughs> the wrong way and the straw was, Oops. like, in a weird spot so it went like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they
0: did the kissing noise. They did the kissing. noise. <laughs> Uh speaking of kissy noises, uh another source is my fabulous boyfriend who let me record an entire ten minutes of him talking and sharing his experience about the witch's castle.
1: Oh he's been? He's been That's cool. He's been did he, he trespass? Sta- he- Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) Which
0: I have his permission. I can share it with you. I can share it with the listeners. But I am going to fast forward his portion to his actual experience there.
1: Okay. Oh, you're going to actually play it. I will play it. Cool. I will play it. This is the
0: first. (laughs) This is the first. Um, So, according to rumors. You know, from the get-go, this, this this town was cursed. The man who I initially wrote about finding the town, Judge James Noble Wood, was suspected to have actually stolen the land that the town resides on from three older women of Métis descent. Oh. I did have to look this up because this is a tribe that I've never heard of, which is not unheard of, but...
1: Yeah, there are uh, a Métis. lot. Métis. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Métis is basically native and European heritage combined, but... Okay. Yeah. When Wood claimed the land as compensation for his military service as part of the Treaty of Paris, Mm -hmm. he evicted the three sisters from their rightful home. However, they did not go easily
1: that's what i like to hear
0: at this point a standoff ensued and after several days of threats and gunfire wood and an assembly of other men stormed the house the three women were disarmed and dragged from their home kicking and screaming before being tied up and thrown onto a makeshift raft and sent down the river towards the falls of the ohio oh no what towards their death Apparently, townsfolk remember seeing the women bloodied, beaten, and trapped on the raft, struggling and wailing, when all of a sudden, they froze. Yeah. After several unnerving minutes, the three sisters began moving as if they were one. They lifted their heads in unison and glared intently at the townsfolk. They angrily began spewing curses and obscenities at the witnesses who lined the shore, literally cursing the entire town its inhabitants, and its future inhabitants. The sisters and their curse was soon forgotten about. That is, until 1830 when the Locks and Dam was built. This redirected all water traffic away from Utica, solidifying the curse and turning the area into a virtual ghost town. Ooh. Years later, another family of three sisters settled in Utica. They lived on the outskirts of town in a stone structure, sort of kind of castle-like, built on a wooded hill overlooking the Ohio River. The sisters were seen as unfriendly and rude by their neighbors because they made no attempt to interact with the community. Sounds
1: good to me. Mm -hmm. (gasps) Mm-hmm. They're the Charmed Ones. They're the Charmed Ones.
0: They rarely ventured into the daylight and preferred to wander the woods late at night foraging. Hmm. Same. The sisters posted a no trespassing sign around the perimeter of the property and warning shots would be fired at any and all unwelcome guests. At this point, because of their odd behavior, it was rumored that the sisters were witches and the town people tried their best to avoid them. Until children began disappearing oh and specifically five children went missing in a month's time span oh shit the people in the town of course immediately suspected these women and and raided the house to find a very disturbing scene it appeared that human skins were hanging on a clothesline across the back of the main room piles of small human bones were tossed into the corner And in a pot over the fireplace, there appeared to be a stewing heart of a child. No,
1: I thought they were going to be like goals, not, oh my god, that's not goals, not goals. And according to one source,
0: in a back building of the property, the body of one of the missing children was found. Oh shit. They were tried on the spot and found guilty of cannibalism and witchcraft. They were hung until they were dead, and their house was burned to the ground in front of them.
1: Okay, um, how did both of our stories end up talking about, like, rape, murder, and cannibalism? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, supposedly,
0: in the 1950s, the Witch's Castle was rebuilt by a man named J. Paul Druin.
1: It's close to Druid.
0: True, close to Druid. And was intended to be a tourist home called Mistletoe Falls. Oh Because, well, because of all the mistletoe that just, like, grows wildly around there. Mm-hmm. And, of course, because of the Ohio River Falls.
1: Fair. Yeah.
0: So the property owner built a small, beautiful stone chapel a little further up the hill on the property before having to turn around and sell his pet project.
1: That's got to be creepy in person now, right? Yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah. Mistletoe Falls then switched hands to that of Joseph Biagi, who was excited to continue in the business. However, some say that this business was cursed, like the rest of the town, as there were many problems that it encountered. Eventually, the building was accidentally burned to the ground yet again, leaving nothing but ruins.
1: Accidentally.
0: His son did it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it was technically an accident, yeah. Um, All that remains of the witch's castle today is that of the foundation, the fireplace, one wall, and the filled-in basement, as well as that shack that Mr. Druin built behind the house, which is very, very much still intact. Hmm. Many people report seeing strange things and hearing strange voices and noises. Children have been seen peering out of the remaining shack's windows, specifically that of a young girl around, you know, eight or nine years old um, with the long black hair wearing a white dress who has no face. Oh, God. Why? Why? (laughs) Why not the face? (laughs) Who is seen wandering around the ruins and surrounding woods. So at this point, after a short period, the property then fell into the hands of Darlene Roach in the 80s. She wanted to fix the property up for use again. However, in 1992, you know this, a tragedy happened that brought many people in the town to call for the destruction of what remained of the building.
1: Well, I didn't read all the way through it, so I don't know okay. all about it. I <laughs> you just, don't know at all. Yeah, I just looked up where it was, and I saw okay. that some, I saw some stuff, I do
0: a young 12-year-old girl by the name of Shonda Scherer moved with her recently divorced mother to New Albany, Indiana in 1991. She met and had an instant connection to classmate Amanda Hevron at Hazelwood Middle School. The two quickly began dating mm-hmm. and even frequently attended the school dances together. In October of that year, the two, as per usual, attended the school dance where they were confronted by 16-year-old Melinda Loveless, who was Amanda's ex. being extremely jealous of the pairing loveless publicly threatened shonda and even began to talk about killing her being a concerned and wonderful mother shonda's mother transferred her away from this wackadoo to our lady of perpetual health catholic school in order to protect her granted yeah but she got her away from loveless sadly this was not enough on January 10th, 1992, Loveless enlisted the help of three friends in order to take her revenge on Shonda. Lori Tackett, 17, Hope Rippy, 15, and Tony Lawrence, 15, all young girls with their whole lives ahead of them. The four of them drove to Shonda's father's house, which was where she was staying for the weekend, and told her that they were going to take her to meet Amanda, her dearly beloved girlfriend. Of course... Wanting to see her partner, Shonda told Afford to return after her parents were asleep, which they did. Mm. The girls then told Shonda that they were going to meet Amanda at the witch's castle. So Shonda was, you know, happily sitting in the car with him while Loveless was crouched in the back seat under a blanket holding a knife.
1: I don't... uh, And it didn't... hmm? I don't understand why they would go along with that. We'll get there. Okay.
0: It didn't take long for her to make her presence known. She leapt out from under the blanket and threatened to slit Shonda's throat if she didn't confess to stealing Amanda away from her. She tried as hard as she could, but Shonda was unable to say a word out of fear. Loveless then instructed the girls to drive to a remote location where no one would be around for miles. Apparently, the girls assumed Loveless was just going to scare Shonda into breaking up with Heverin.
1: Oh,
0: But that wasn't the case. They drove out to a remote trash dump near a logging road in a very dense part of a forested area. Loveless and Tackett then proceeded to strip Shonda of her clothes and punch her repeatedly. What the f- fuck right loveless then began kneeing shonda in the face until she began bleeding profusely from the mouth and all this time the two other girls um lawrence and rippy stayed in the car like they were like nah we're not we're not partaking sure (laughs) yeah they brutally tortured shonda for hours before attempting to slit her throat the knife was too Dull, though. So instead, they stabbed her in the chest and strangled her with a rope before throwing her in the trunk of the car, thinking that she was dead. The four then went back to Tackett's house in order to clean up and drink some sodas before they realized that Shonda was screaming in the trunk, still alive. Oh my god. Tackett then proceeded to stab Shonda several more times before driving off with Loveless in order to beat and sodomize Shonda with a tire iron.
1: Holy fuck.
0: When they returned, Tackett proceeded to laugh as she described what they did to Shonda. A few more hours later, during the early morning, the girls stopped at a gas station and bought a two-liter bottle of Pepsi, which they promptly emptied and refilled with gasoline. They then drove to another remote location, pulled Shonda out of the trunk, just barely alive, to where, like, the last words they heard her saying was mommy. They wrapped her in a blanket and poured the gasoline on her before lighting her on fire and driving off. They returned a few minutes later, at the instructions of Lovelace, to pour more gasoline on her and confirm that she was dead. Later that morning, two hunters found Shonda's lifeless body. The four girls then stopped at McDonald's for breakfast and laughed and joked and apparently compared the sausage from their biscuits to Shonda's burnt corpse. Holy
1: f- Oh my
0: god. They even went around and began talking about this. Loveless told Amanda literally Shonda's partner and another friend. Everything. But they were sworn to secrecy. Or... Let's be honest, they were probably threatened. But I guess guilty consciences got to some of the girls because that night, Lawrence and Rippy went with their parents to the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office in order to confess the whole story. And by the next day, all four girls were in custody. They were all tried as adults and accepted plea bargains in order to avoid the death penalty. Tony Lawrence was sentenced to 20 years and Hope Rippy 50 years since they had been younger, less involved with the torture, and more forthcoming with the authorities. Um, Rippy's sentence was then reduced to 35 years on appeal. And both Lori Tackett and Melissa Loveless were sentenced to over 60 years because they were the masterminds of all of this and the ones who did literally all the torturing. Yeah. So, I thought that it was very important to mention this as part of my story because it's kind of tied into the witches. Yeah. 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 As, as true crimey as it is. Thankfully, according to my research, it seems that Shonda does not haunt the witches' castle. But as I said before, the apparition of a young girl has been seen and even the apparition of witches. In fact, like I said at the beginning, I spoke with Charlie about this, uh, this weekend, about the castle and he told me everything he knew, his own experience, but he does admit, he doesn't admit that it's paranormal. It's just weird. So, I'm going to pull that up.
2: Now, the reason why that story is important is because, and like like I said, those, those are the only two stories I know of, is the, the five supposed witches who were burned at Witch's Castle in the original house that stood there, and then the poor young child that was murdered in the 90s. Um, now, since then, though, there has been sightings at Witch's Castle, um, and there's a distinct feeling of dread in the air there. Essentially, there are three different uh, apparitions that supposedly appear which is Castle. Um, the first one is obviously our poor girl, Cheryl. Uh, there are people who have claimed to see her burned carcass in the actual stone house. Um, supposedly, if you go into the house, walk out of the house, she's standing there in the doorway when you look back in. Um, how true this is, I don't know. I never saw the ghost, but that's one of the things they claim. Number one. Um, so her... As, essence or spirit is supposedly so there. the second entity and this one i don't know where the fuck it came from uh is that of a little child presumably a girl in a white dress or a white gown um supposedly she runs around the well in the back area um she's mostly harmless uh from what i've been told she doesn't really do anything but she just kind of spooks up and pops up and just runs around uh, she mostly just ignores people you mostly just see her running around she never interacts with anyone directly at least as far as I've been told and, and from what other people told me the third apparition is technically five that would be the five original witches and this comes with my own experience because for a little while I was really obsessed with witches' Castle and I couldn't explain why um, I'm not for the record I don't I can't say whether or not I believe the paranormal is real. I find it fascinating. But I cannot one hundred percent say, oh yeah, I believe in ghosts. At least not in the way that movies portray the movies. I don't not that way. However, this particular instance is probably the closest that I got to that. Um, like I said, when I was younger I got really obsessed with Witch's Castle. When I was took there the first time, I was just really drawn to it. I don't know why can't really explain it but like i wanted to go up there all the time and so i would take people up there all the time um i took one of my port like the one thing is i know uh women can have a more difficult time there because of chandra um if chandra is there and you're a woman you will get sick queasy very quickly and if you're get queasy you want to leave because that means she's coming mm. so again no one's died from any apparitions there that's just what they say uh, Miranda got really uh, my, I brought my friend Miranda and her boyfriend and a few friends up there and she got really sick And she was the only woman in her group and everyone else was fine but I couldn't get enough so I took them home and the next day I got some camping gear and I went alone? back alone and I stayed there mm-hmm. for 24 hours I just brought a couple books some beef jerky some candy some soda and I just stayed there and I put my sleeping bag in the witch's castle stone house and I just stayed there and everything was fine and no I was not on drugs I actually didn't do any drugs at this point in my life um but I remember it was late at night probably like one or two in the morning and I went to sleep when I woke up and this is where I don't know if it actually happened or if it was a dream but I remember waking up Now, I remember it was pitch black outside, and I just heard chanting, and I looked out, and where the foundation of the house was, there was an actual house. And I went into the house. And when I went into the house, there were just five women sitting in a circle, and I sat down in the circle with them, and I could not understand what they were saying. I do not remember, but their mouths weren't moving, but I could hear them, and I was understanding them in that weird trance. And this went on, I don't, I don't remember how long it went on, I just remember I sat there, and I was in front of all five of them. And then, it felt like it lasted forever, and then all of a sudden, everything went black, and I woke up in the foundation of the house. And I have never <laughs> wanted to go back since... Uh, which is not true. I would love to go back there again, um, but that's the closest thing I ever had to a true paranormal experience, but could have been a dream. But yeah, that's, that. that's all I know of witches' castle.
0: So, uh, I don't know where he got five women, but if he claims he saw five women, maybe the spirits of all but one, of the witches that supposedly haunt the land
1: have uh, met in the afterlife. Uh, first of all, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he went out there by himself. Like, tell me the you're a man without telling me you're a man, because
0: <laughs> because he went out there by himself. Yes, with beef jerky,
1: candy, and soda. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll vibe with the beef jerky. That's fine. You <laughs> will vibe with that. <laughs> by himself i would be terrified why oh my god and then uh, whether or not that was a dream or not he actually woke up inside the actual structure
0: he yeah he woke up in what remained of the structure
1: when he was not in there when he went to sleep Mm -hmm. oh god Mm -hmm. and he's never had a history of like sleepwalking or anything like that
0: i'll have to check with him I don't know. I think he might have as a child, but he doesn't anymore.
1: That's very... yikes. Yeah. Wow.
0: So, for all those listening, that is the story of the witch's castle in Utica, Indiana. Holy (laughs) what? You are welcome. Just, I mean, when he told me this story the first time, I was like... I got to do it. Yeah. I have to do it. I have to cover it. If not for everything that I found, for what he told me.
1: Yeah, I'm curious about why there were five. Like, why he heard right. five and why he saw five witches. Five.
0: Right. And that's why I was like, I don't know if, I mean, if these actually were witches and if the witches actually, you know, existed on the property. There are people who believe that witches have a high um connection with the spirit world Mm -hmm. and when you have that connection with the spirit world you might be able to exist in that realm after you pass
1: No, so just like maybe one of them was like not feeling it yeah one of them was was like
0: (laughs) one of them was like nah fam i'll see you in the afterlife
1: i that that's wild
0: it yes yes because like i don't yes, yes yes
1: i don't care whether or not it was a dream i care that he actually woke up in there after whatever that was mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. scary
0: yes so on that note any listeners if you have anything you would like read to you um read to you if you have any stories that you would like read on the podcast
1: or if you want to send in a clip like that that's interesting or want,
0: yes If you would like to send in a clip like that, we would gladly play it on this episode. Episode? On this podcast? (laughs) On this episode specifically. We will change it every time.
1: Wow. (laughs) Okay. Well.
0: Well, um, if you enjoyed that, if you did not, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Myths and Misfortunes.
1: Or Twitter at Miss Misfortune, or you can just search using the full name Myths and Misfortunes. It'll be there.
0: It'll be yeah, yeah, yeah. You can also send us an email to myths and misfortunes at gmail.com. And please check out our website, mythsandmisfortunes.com.
1: Our theme music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. And please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Anywhere and everywhere you can. I'm not kidding. Just
0: Seriously, just ev- everywhere. Please. 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 Alright, thanks so much for listening, guys. Thank you and
1: goodbye. Mm. Goodbye.
0: Thank okay. you.